Hello and welcome to the 28th episode of What's the Alternative? I'm your Tyler, you're the listener, and I'm your host, Tyler Herman. And this is the 28th episode recorded on September 28th, 2021. So, um... We're, you know, this is a little bit of a late episode, I, I understand that, uh, but but life stuff happens, and, you know, it's weekly-ish, so we're going to chug on as normal. But that does mean that we have a couple extra stories in this episode, so um, so you have that to look forward to, maybe a little bit, little bit longer than maybe the average. And yeah, this is a very EV-heavy episode, a very Ford-heavy episode as well. So as always, I'm going to talk about some of the recent uh, news in the electric vehicle and other alternative fuel industries. And we can just jump right into it. As always, you can find the links to all these articles in the show notes below and all that. So uh, definitely duck down there if you want to learn any more about uh, any more about any of the stories that I tell you today. So to jump right into it, we have a lot of news from Ford. Um, Ford is considering producing Mach-E's as a dedicated police vehicle, or for um, production as dedicated police vehicles. And so the Mustang Mach-E is kind of a crossover SUV uh, size vehicle. And it's one that I'm personally very excited about as an EV, and I think it's a very attractive vehicle from, from many perspectives. But leaning more in towards, you know, Ford does a lot of fleet vehicles. Um, they've done this for a long time, especially with like the F-150. And so they kind of know what it is to make fleet vehicles for large commercial and municipal or government customers. So they're considering taking the Mach-E and making a police platform out of it. And I think that that's a really, really good idea. We've seen some police departments across the country using Teslas, right? Actually, across the world, um, using Nissan Leafs for you know local police vehicles and that sort of stuff. So we, we know that this works. Um, if you're going to save money in any uh, sector with an EV by going to an EV, accepting or um, you know taking into account those capital cost increases because EVs are more expensive you're going to save your money with police vehicles the amount of idling that those vehicles do every day is just incredible and that is just pure wasted money uh, electric vehicle you know you get around that you don't need to idle you have your power electronics that are all powered by the main battery so it's a really good fit and i'm very glad that ford is is again doing these sorts of fleet projects like they are with the F150 Lightning so huge hats off to them, and it's just that they're considering it right now, but they're, um, the pipeline from Ford considering something with an EV and then doing it over this last six months or so has been a pretty pretty real pipeline. We've seen that with the um, their discussion of like, we don't want to produce our own batteries, to we want to up our production of batteries by a huge amount and just driving all of that, that innovation, um, driving all that motion really. Uh, has been pretty rapid from Ford recently. So uh, you love to see this sort of thing. Speaking of Ford and their batteries, they're investing a lot of money right now in battery recycling. So this is pretty cool. Uh, they're specifically targeting a completely closed loop recycling process. And part of this is through a $50 million uh, investment in the company Redwood Materials, which is a battery recycling company founded by J.B. Straubel, who y'all might know as, as one of the original founders of Tesla. So... Um, he formed this battery recycling company, and Ford is investing in them and wants to use them for recycling their batteries as well as for sourcing their um, materials for their battery production. So it's very, very exciting. And speaking of battery production, Ford and the battery manufacturer SK Innovation is investing, are jointly investing 11.4 billion US dollars for electric F-150 manufacturing and battery manufacturing in the United States. So this is 
a pretty big announcement. Um, there will be three battery plants in total and one F-150 Lightning plant. Uh, the plants will be in Stanton, Tennessee and Glendale, Kentucky, and they say it will create 11,000 jobs, which is quite significant. And this is the largest single manufacturing investment in Ford's history, which is pretty big. Um, they've been around for like 118 years, um, and this is the biggest manufacturing investment. So that's pretty, pretty significant. And they're also investing $7 billion, or Ford is investing $7 billion of those dollars, and SK Innovation is investing the remaining $4.4 billion. So it's a relatively equal um, split between them, with Ford kind of taking, edging it out a little bit. Once fully operational, this figure kind of blows my mind, once fully operational, the battery plants will be able to produce enough batteries to produce, or to create a 2.2 million EVs. I'm struggling to speak today, but it is okay. Ford also mentioned, this is kind of a sidebar, that they will spend $525 million over five years for technician training for the shift towards electric vehicles. Now, this is a really big deal for me. So, you know, I work in a for a nonprofit that does education and technical assistance and such for alternative fuel vehicles, and consistently across the board, the single biggest issue um, for any of the alternative fuels is technicians to work on the vehicles. It's just a huge issue, and it has a shelf life. You know, if you hold training and get 100 mechanics or whatever trained up to work on on EVs or natural gas vehicles or whatever, whatever the need is or whatever you're funding, um, you know, they have to be, like, retrained later on as the tech improves, but also just to refresh it for, you know, for safety. Uh, those workers might move away, get snatched up by a bigger company somewhere else or, or whatever. Like, there's a shelf life to that training. And... Um, and it's really expensive training. It's not. It's not cheap to do this. Uh, it costs a lot of money. Ford is spending five hundred twenty-five million on it. Um, so I'm really excited to see this because, frankly, we just don't have enough people who know how to work on electric vehicles. We probably don't have enough people to support the current uh, number of electric vehicles we have on the road, much less the ramp up that we're hoping to see in the industry. So very, very, very happy to see an automaker. Uh, talking about how much money they're going to be spending on training, and I hope that it comes very soon. They say over the next five years, um, so hopefully that that bears out. Moving on from Ford, we have GM uh, resuming battery production for the Chevy Bolt. This is very good news. Um, they have found the problem. It, uh, I believe it was the same sort of problem that Verge reported in one of their articles, maybe with Ars Technica, I don't remember who, um, a couple weeks back that you said that there was maybe some sort of liner between the cathode and anode that was had, had a potential for a fold, and there was some other problem that had to coincide with that, and that would cause issues and short-circuiting. So they're beginning production again. Very, very excited to hear that. There is also a software update that Bolt owners can go to their dealerships to um, install or up, upload, uh, whatever, for their, their vehicles, and that software will monitor the battery for issues um, so basically just check all the cells and make sure that they're all in working order. And if, if it notices any issues or any potential for issues, then it'll ping, you know, kind of the network and say, hey, you need to you need to be prioritized for battery replacement. So it's trying to look for the high risk situations and replace those vehicles first or the batteries in those vehicles first. So I think that's a, a great thing. Um and I'm glad it's not just kind of pure waiting around twiddling your thumbs until they have enough batteries. So love to see it. Uh, hopefully, yeah, just, I wish them the best. This is a, a sucky situation for them. So uh, glad to see that there's some motion. 
So moving on, we've got an, a bit of an interesting story from Michigan. They are hoping to pilot the country's first under-road inductive EV charging project. Now, we talked about this in um, episode 24, so just a couple episodes ago, that Indiana is going to be piloting a similar project to put inductive wireless charging under the road so that EVs can charge while driving over it. Um, I think it's really interesting that Michigan is, is talking about how this will be the country's first. I guess they're trying to build this before Indiana does. And actually, I really think the article made it sound pretty, pretty like they're, they're pretty much clearly trying to say, like, we're trying to beat Indiana to the punch here. And it's very strange. Um, maybe that's just the vibe that I got from the article and I'm reading into it. But I thought it was very entertaining. Uh, the request for proposals for um, the actual build out is uh, opening today. It opens September 28th, 2021. So if you own a company that does wireless charging, uh, reach out. I'd love to talk to you. But also, you know, you should go and submit a proposal now. And then the only other actual data point we have about this is that it'll be a one mile or 1.6 kilometer stretch of road in Wayne, Oakland, or Macomb counties, Michigan. It'll be one of those three. We don't know where. So it seems very early days. And I did really get the impression that they made this announcement in the way that they did kind of to beat Indiana to the punch, and it's it's a little bit hilarious. So moving on, we've got a really interesting story from Australia. This is an Australian mine, an iron mine owned by Roy Hill, has purchased a battery electric train from the company Wabtec, Wabtec, W-A-B-T-E-C. Um, I'm not entirely sure what the desired pronunciation is for that word, but um, regardless, yeah, this mine is buying an all-electric, a battery electric train to haul iron ore. So... This is pretty cool. The train will have a 7 megawatt hour battery on board, which is a bonkers large battery. So for comparison with like an EV, uh, you know, regular car, something like the Tesla Model S, for example, has about a 100 kilowatt hour battery. So uh, this is 70 Model S's worth of battery, which is quite a bit. Um, this purchase actually comes after a pilot project that was uh, done by the company that tested an earlier model of the train that I believe had like 2.6 megawatt hours of battery storage. Um, and they were like, we like it. We're going to buy one. And this is very exciting. They will take delivery of the train in 2023. Presumably, it'll take some months for them to actually commission the or get the, the train in commission and get it going after that. So we might see this in 2023 or 2024. They expected to save... Um, in the double digits of percent, they said in the article, in carbon emissions, which is cool, um, but also cost. So they're going to be saving money on this, which is awesome. Uh, as you might imagine, an electric train is surely going to cost a good deal more than a diesel train, uh, but the operational cost should be a lot lower. Should be a lot lower. So really excited to see that they're actually saving some money as well. Moving on stateside, the... Um, the Eugene Springfield area in Oregon is going to be getting some more electric transit buses. So this is exciting. Love deployment. Lane Transit, uh, yeah, Lane Transit District has purchased 19 electric transit buses from New Flyer, uh, and this will be complementing their existing 11 transit buses, electric transit buses on the road. So this will up that to 30 buses, which is very exciting. That's um, love to see fleets that already have electric vehicles purchasing more. Uh, repeat customers is is awesome. That's a very good sign for the industry. So love to see this sort of stuff. And speaking of deployment, not to be outdone, California is deploying 100 new drayage and regional delivery trucks. So the project is called JETSI, or JETSI, is J-E-T-S-I, which stands for the Joint Electric Truck Scaling Initiative, and it will last eight years. 
over those eight years, they'll deploy these vehicles. Um, and it's a partnership by a lot of organizations, by a couple um, air quality districts, and um, it's a total of 20 organizations or so, and they have companies and the government entities all working together on this particular project. So I love deployment stories. 100 new trucks, that's, ex- that's excellent. Uh, speaking of trucks getting in people's hands, Rivian is putting vehicles in customers' hands, which I love. We actually we actually have some deliveries from Rivian. I wasn't sure how soon it would happen, and I love that it's finally happening. So there are several reviews that you can find about this. I put one from Green Car Reports, which is a newsletter that I signed up for because um, I tend to like their writing well enough, and I, I know what they embellish and what they don't embellish fairly well, so uh, I read them quite often. Um, so that's linked down below, but I've also linked down below the Jerry Rig Everything video. So Jerry Rig Everything does YouTube videos about um, usually cell phone durability, uh, and they're they're fun. But he also does a lot of videos about EVs, and he did one where he test drove a Rivian in Colorado with along with a lot of other people test driving them for YouTube videos and media and that sort of stuff. And they actually did you know scaling a, a mountain thing. I don't do any off-roading myself, so I don't really know what the uh, what the verbiage is for that. But um, it looks like it handled a lot of cool things. I watched it earlier today. It was like a 23-minute video. So if you're interested in such things, you're interested in the Rivian, um, that's definitely worth checking out. You could also go to Rivian's website, uh, where we have a little bit more news from them, that they have released details about their, their membership subscription model for you know their connectivity with the vehicles and charging subscription and all that sort of stuff. So if you are seriously looking at a Rivian, you probably already know this, but if you haven't come across this yet, uh, you can look at that on, on their website now and actually learn about what their plan is. And the last bit of EV news that I have for you today is that Michigan is investing in EV charging, charging infrastructure with a new plan called the Lake Michigan Electric Vehicle Circuit. So this is specifically targeting EV charging and the gap <laughs> in the gap and charging along the West Coast uh, in Michigan. And they're going to spend up to $6.2 million on the project. So they're going to do a feasibility study um, this year and I think early next year to determine the best strategy for deploying these vehicles. But they really want more charging along that area um, because that's kind of where they've established or where they've identified the need. So uh, I love this sort of stuff. Abortioning money for installing chargers seems like a great idea and seems necessary. So love to hear it. I've got a couple stories for you in the realm of energy today. So we once again have allowed opposition to offshore wind power that is rooted in not in my backyard mentalities around the aesthetics of offshore wind power. Uh, this time it's in Georgia. So we've talked a lot about these sorts of projects um, where you know you have a proposed wind farm or a proposed solar farm or whatever, and and somebody is like, I don't like it because it's it's ugly, and I, I think that that's often a terrible argument. And one of the things that really gets me about this is, you know, you have these arguments on like oceanfront property or something like that. And then you probably think, well, I don't know, like what sorts of people live on open uh, oceanfront property. So quite often it's going to be wealthier people, wealthier neighborhoods. And that's where you get a lot of this not my backyardisms um, is in those sorts of situations. And then you think about, well, okay, where are coal plants? <laughs> where are nuclear power plants? Where are these other uh, traditional sources that we have, especially, you know, coal and natural gas? And you look at the um, the demographics there, and it tends to be much poorer people. So I don't know if there's a, you know, you could read into that however much you want, but I think that there's a, a deep irony. Uh, that's not really irony, it's just unfortunate. 
um, <laughs> that you see these sorts of complaints so loudly from, you know, yeah, from, from the demographics that it comes from. So anyway, that's the thing. Uh, this was several uh, Republican politicians opposing the offshore wind power in Georgia because it would, quote-unquote, ruin their views. Um, I just mentioned Republican because that's how the article states it. I don't really think it matters much one way or the other. Um, and then they also cite issues around wind power and bird populations, which is like a personal bugbear of mine. Um, but it totally ignores that like fossil fuel power is significantly worse for birds than wind power. And this is a thing we've known for a long time. There are several studies about this. Um, it's, it's both from, you know, global warming is bad for bird populations for a billion and a half reasons, but also like birds just run into the gigantic cooling towers, like birds running into windows and buildings is like a huge killer for bird populations. So uh, you get that with coal power plants. The huge amount of heat that they produce is not particularly good for the birds as well. It has deaths associated with it. The pollution, you know, particulate matter and all that sort of stuff is, again, terrible for birds. It's terrible for us, too, it turns out. Um, anyway, but there's actually a study that I'm going to link below um, that is a very good study that actually looks into bird deaths per unit of energy produced by different energy sources. So it actually, you know, 100,000 bird deaths per terawatt hour or whatever of electricity produced for wind, hydro, nuclear, solar, um, coal, and natural gas. And it's a very good study. I highly recommend you read it. And again, there are several other st such studies that all come to the same conclusion. So the last story I have for you today is that Shell has sold off a massive oil production uh, facility in the Permian Basin. So... This, I don't really have a huge amount to go into here as a $9.5 billion deal. They sold it to ConocoPhillips. Um, but I, I bring this up purely because we, we talked a few times in the last few episodes, um, specifically in the Petroleum Pat episode, about the fact that uh, Shell seems to be getting out of the direct petroleum game and actually moving towards renewables or moving towards chemical pr uh, processing and all that sort of stuff. And I think this is just another play in that, um, kind of in that playbook that they're going through. So uh, I don't, you know, want to give them an incredible amount of credit because, again, there there are a gigantic oil and gas company that has done massive harm. Um, but at the same time, if they are actually turning that leaf, then I am all here for it. Um, so, so yeah, they're selling that off, and I think it's kind of interesting. It's an interesting move. We'll see what comes of it. This doesn't really come with much climate benefit overall because it's being taken over by ConocoPhillips, so that's just another company owning it. Um, but it is Shell, once again, getting out of out of the sort of game. So that's the last story I have for you all today. Um, I hope to continue doing these sort of regular-ish episodes, and hopefully life stuff doesn't uh, come up <laughs> quite so much that I have to uh, take another break. But who knows? So, as always, if you have any feedback, I'd love to hear from you. If you have, you know, good good bad, positive, uh, negative, whatever feedback you'd like to give. You can reach out to me on Twitter at Archduke Tyler or any of the, any of the other various ways that you have to reach me. And, um, and I will respond to you because you're the listener and I like that about you. So at that, I bid the adieu and we will meet again next week when you inevitably listen again, because let's be honest, what's the alternative? Thank you.
Thank you.